On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking to Mayor Fred Eisenberger about the opening of budget season. Yes, budget season is upon us and it's not going to be easy this year. Tough times anyway, and then you throw in COVID and it's a bit of a mess. But is there optimism or is there gnashing of teeth? Well, he will explain. We will also be chatting with Gord Lewis, guitarist and founding member of the Teenage Head, not the Teenage Head, of Teenage Head. I'll get that one right. New documentary coming out next week about the band and about Gord and his story. It's a tough one. It's a fascinating one, though. He joins us. Ron Foxcroft joins us to talk about the passing of David Braley, whose impact on the city of Hamilton and across the country, enormous. And finally, Don Robertson, as he is every Monday on the podcast, joins us to talk a little sports. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. This is the time when all council members come together and agree on everything to increase services to everyone while reducing our taxes to near zero or something along those lines. Maybe that's not an exact explanation of what happens, but, you know, Uh, probably not so much this year. This is uh, one of those years where you take the usual challenges that always come with trying to figure out how to do everything people want you to do in the city without raising taxes and mix in a pretty substantial dose of COVID. And you may end up right now with one of the more difficult and more interesting budget efforts that this city has faced in a long, long time. Mayor Fred Eisenberger, just before he gets into this, before he is beaten down, joins us to uh, to discuss budgeting this year. Mayor, thanks for doing this today. Yes, good to be with you, Scott. I, I enjoyed the, uh, the Christmas theme. I, I think you should play that before each meeting when you do budgeting now. Yeah, you know what? It'd be uplifting, I think. I'm good <laughs> have you um, have you gone into a budget process in your time? And you've been a councillor and you've been a mayor for a while. Have you gone into one with more unknowns and more difficulty knowing what lies ahead? Um, yeah, I would say there's uh, you know a reasonable amount of uncertainty. I mean, the good news for this year, for you know the upcoming budget, is that uh, we've been kept whole. So, uh, you know, the funding that we're getting from the federal government, the provincial government for transit and COVID-related expenses, uh, you know, virtually is uh, covering the shortfall that we're experiencing for this, uh, you know, budget year. Otherwise, we would have been in a very, very serious uh, deep hole to start with. And as it stands right now, we're, uh, you know, we're you know, projecting a 4% increase at the moment. And that's, a, that's probably the lowest starting point we've had some t- in some time. But we're also continuing to work with uh, the federal government and the province on, you know, related expenses for next year. So all of that work is already happening. So in, in the world of, you know, uncertainty and unprecedented and all the kind of the catchphrases you can think of, uh, yeah, these are definitely challenging times. But uh, to our good fortune, uh, you know, our, our, our budget hole for this year has been covered by the federal and provincial governments. Well, I don't want to dwell too much on what might have been because that's not really an impact, but it it is, I think, relevant because uh, you and other mayors went to the other forms of government essentially, you know, pleading to do something they did. But what would have happened if we had been facing a 50 or $60 million deficit right now? How do you even start to do a budget if that had been the case? Yeah, well, I mean, you you have to look at everything that you're doing, including, you know, using reserves that you set aside for these kinds of challenges. And so, we would have likely have had to deplete all the reserves, which uh, obviously makes for a precarious financial position if something else happens and you don't know what happens next year or the year after. And uh, there would have been significant cuts in services and or tax increases. And, you know, the projection on a $44 million you know, shortfall would have been in the order of, uh, you know, one percentage point is seven $7 million. So, uh, you know, you add that up, uh, that would have been five, six percentage points before you even start to look at any additional increases that are already baked in as a result of labor negotiations and, you know, inflation in terms of costs for projects and, uh, and contracts. So uh, w- it would have been a very significant hole uh, coming into this budget route had we not been, you know, get given that offset to cover that off. And, you know, and we may very well, maybe not to the same degree, because we've not had, you know, the uh, the, the closures that we experienced earlier this year. Uh, the uh, next year is still going to be a challenge. There's still going to be additional costs. And uh, we're still going to be exploring how the federal and provincial governments can help offset that in the future. And, you know, I, I think it's reasonable 
then at some point, uh, the city also absorbs some of those costs uh, to, to maybe help with local businesses, uh, you know, local tax offsets or BIA offsets, things that uh, can help local businesses get back on their feet. So I think that that whole mixture, uh, you know, would have been very, very significant uh, shortfall. That would have been very, very dire. It would have been a, a great detriment to economic recovery, and certainly that's something that uh, we're all concerned about. Uh, maintaining, uh, you know, the economy and keeping people employed and uh, and keeping people in business, uh, you know, is is the order of the day. And if taxes increase wildly and we can't provide services, that certainly isn't going to be helpful to uh, to, to that to that goal. The staff report that you'll be receiving or you have received, but that's relating to the meeting on Thursday when this starts includes a bit though, that points out um, that, and this is a quote from the, the report based on current information, staff is projecting additional financing pressures related to COVID in 2021 between 34.8 million and 59.2 million. That's a huge chasm, which may not even exist. I mean, potentially. So you're talking about zero to $59 million that you have to, figure out what you're going to do but how do you how do you make decisions when things are that uncertain and that wide well you know again i think we're going to we're going to rely on the federal and provincial governments that uh, you know have a much greater ability to borrow or print money uh, you know they're uh, you know the borrowing rate right now is you know one percent or less uh, so their their capacity is even better in terms of borrowing and you know what they have printing presses they can print money and they've been doing that to uh, to shore up the economy, and uh, you know that will likely have to continue for next year. Having said that, uh, you know we're going to think about you know where we can use reserves, what kind of reserves we have, and uh, you know anticipate that uh, we may or may not get the offsetting funding this year. Although I anticipate we will, I think that is going to be part of the, an economic recovery. And so uh, you know I don't I don't know that we start hacking and slashing our budgets. I don't know that we start hacking and slashing services at this point with the knowledge that uh, it's anticipated that the federal and provincial governments are going to be there for us uh, next time around with their ability. And, you know, the, the, you know for a while there, they, they kind of entertained the notion of allowing municipalities to run a deficit, which we're technically not allowed to do. So we have to find a way of collecting the taxes and uh, raising the kind of money that we're going to need to, to run our city. Uh, you know, running up massive amounts of uh, annualized debt uh, is not something that's uh, in our DNA and shouldn't be, because then you're just exacerbating the problem mm-hmm. uh, down the road. So you're just adding debt on top of debt on top of debt. So uh, there's going to need to be an offset, and uh, that conversation with the federal government and the provincial government's already happening for next year. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. And Mr. Mayor, you are pointing out one of the uh, things that, in addition to all the COVID stuff, the initial report from staff suggests that the uh, 4% tax increase is the starting point where they're suggesting, and that would maintain existing services, existing programs, all the rest. Do, do you look at that as a reasonable number, or do you look at that when you start this as a starting point? Yeah, I mean, traditionally, it's a starting point. Uh, you know, and, and this early on, we, we've traditionally been higher in terms of starting points. And you know what, you whittle down the budget, uh, you know, piece by piece. So there's a lot of work yet to be done. Uh, You know, you can bake in a 2% increase as a result of contract negotiations and and inflation. That certainly is already something that has to be factored into. So we're essentially talking in terms of increase, you know, at 2% uh, in terms of additional costs. And I I think we're gonna do everything humanly possible to keep that as low as possible. Uh, understanding and appreciating that uh, this has been a challenging time for taxpayers everywhere. Some are out of work, some are, you know, co- collecting CERB or unemployment. Uh, you know, that, those challenges uh, we faced, uh, you know, forever. Our income levels in the city of Hamilton, and that's why we've kept tax increases, uh, you know, exceptionally low over the last 10 years, I would say. It's been, uh, you know, hovering at around 2 or 3%, which on a comparative basis is a uh, is pretty reasonable given that uh, you know each and every year we're facing increased costs both for labor and and uh, contract costs. So you can't keep doing that forever, though. You can't keep uh, you know borrowing you know next year's uh, you know increases to, to maintain this year's increases. So I think uh, you know that's something that uh, you know we're going to be very conscious of this year. But there's always some catching up to do at some point. Uh, mm. But this is certainly not the year to be doing that. Because well, one of the notes in there was that, as I said a moment ago, the, the, the staff report says that this would just cover 
existing services. So there's nothing extra that would be thrown in there that would sound like it's flab or something you could take out of there, which, which would imply anyway, that if you're going to go below four, you would have to cut something. I, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but that would be the implication. Yeah, that's not necessarily true. So we, we've always started at higher number. In previous years, we might have started at six or seven percent, as uh, as they as you know, it's a budget process. So it's a really a, you know a process of you know rationalizing costs, uh, looking for efficiencies, uh, finding ways of uh, you know reducing costs in areas where we can reduce costs, and at the same time trying to maintain level of services or or change level of services depending on. You know, where council thinks, uh, you know, adjustments need to be made. So it's really an iterative process. It's far from over. It's, uh, you know, just starting starting now. And, you know, it'll be four months before we even get close to a, a number that uh, that we can say this is kind of the end game. So uh, we're, we're just getting started here. And I think uh, there's much more work to do. I would say also, you know, the, as we were talking about, you know, the hole that we don't have in this year's budget, any deficits that we accrue next year will actually have an impact in 2022. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, uh, it, 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 it's not a deficit until it's actually incurred deficit. And so that, that hasn't happened yet. And so uh, next year, uh, if there's another shortfall, that's something that we're going to have to deal with, hopefully in the same way that we've been able to deal with it this year. One of the other things that's mentioned a couple times or more, I may, it may be more, I may just have missed a couple is they talk about user fees in the, in this report Mm -hmm. um, and possibly increasing user fees. Is that in your mind, is that a, a good way to deal with some of this stuff to say, look, if you want to use stuff, if you want facilities and if you want to use whatever, um, pay for it, pay for what you use as opposed to just raising taxes right across the board. Yeah, I mean it's one it's one approach. Uh, it's not the only approach, of course. Uh, you know, we've we've adopted user fees for for water and wastewater, and uh, you know what we've uh, what we've done is uh, you know I started this about 15 years ago when we we were not collecting enough revenue in the water wastewater sector to cover the capital improvement costs that need to happen in the system. And so we were basically uh, you know uh, uh, you know going after budgets and reducing budgets in other areas to be able to find money to do this. And you know what, ultimately we ended up with, let's, let's start charging what the, what the service value is and uh, ensuring that we're also raising enough money to do the capital upgrades to keep the system whole. You know, we need to, you need to improve the system. You need to uh, upgrade the water treatment system. You need to you know, replace and renew water lines and, and sewer lines. And so if you're not raising the money to do that, you're actually going backwards. And so you can expect that the user fees on the water and wastewater side is likely going to, uh, you know, remain constant, which has been in and around three or four percent, which not only covers the cost of delivering the water and wastewater and, and collecting the wa- wastewater and treating the wastewater, but also maintaining the system itself in terms of the sewers and the uh, sewage treatment plant upgrades that are going to be necessary. So you can expect that to continue, and I think that's a rational, reasonable user fee that not only you know, requires people to pay what the cost of, uh, of of the water and producing that water itself, but also, you know, promotes conservation, which, you know, water is uh, used to be very much considered a disposable resource, when in fact it's a, it's, it's, it needs to be considered to be a, a renewable resource that we have to continue to cycle, you know, in and out. You know, you, you, water doesn't disappear, so as you use it, you, you flush it down the toilet or down the sink, it needs to be treated, needs to be cleaned, it gets put back into the system and pulled back in uh, as part of the drinking water system. And it's part of the ecology. And so all of those things become factors in terms of what you use user fees to do. It is, uh, it is the beginning, as I say, and as the mayor said, of a long process. Uh, certainly something we'll be following because, um, well, why wouldn't we? It's our tax dollars that we're talking about and interest of interest to everybody. Mr. Mayor, thank you for the time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you can play that song again. It's very uplifting, by the way. It's, uh, you well, know, can, couldn't we all think that it's the most wonderful time of the year, at least a little more often than we don't in the in recent times? I think that's uh, that's uplifting. So Let's hope so. I'm going to tell Cable 14 to play that as their intro to all the budget meetings that they cover on, uh, on, on their that's internet. Up, Thank you very up, much, up. Mr. Mayor. Appreciate it. Good starting point. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the legendary Hamilton bands. And not just 
recently, not just in the last 40 years. I mean, one of the all-time legendary Hamilton bands, Teenage Head. Well, next week on TVO, a documentary is going to debut about Teenage Head. It's called Picture My Face, the name of that song, as it turns out. Not a coincidence. But it's not your typical rock documentary. This is not Spinal Tap. This is not uh, one of those ridiculous shows by the looks of it that um, that just does a surface look at the band and that's it. Uh, this is this is a deeper look, not only at Teenage Head, but in the wake of the death of lead singer Frankie Venom, it is about personal stuff. It's about guitarist Gord Lewis's personal battles as well. It is a, as I say, it, it, it certainly does not sound, and I have not seen the documentary yet, I've only seen previews, but it doesn't sound like it's the kind of thing that you would necessarily expect from a rock documentary, if you want to call it that. Gord Lewis, who is the guitarist for Teenage Head, he's a founding member of the band. He joins me now. Gord, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm okay. Excellent. Well, listen, watching the previews of this, Gord, I have to believe, and I don't know if you've seen the whole movie yet, but watching it, I have to believe that this this movie is pretty intensely personal for you. Yes, it is. Yeah, it uh, kind of grew that way, and, and I think that's where the directors wanted to take it. Uh, that was, you know, I thought that, that kind of become, became their angle. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, so. Well, was it, was it easy for you to watch or was it even for you knowing, cause you were there, you were involved. Was it easy to watch it afterwards or is it incredibly difficult to relive some of that stuff? Um, well, like both, you know, I, I, I really like some of the footage. I really like the older footage. I like seeing Frank. Like uh, doing this thing, because um, all I did was uh, I played guitar, so I never saw all these crazy <laughs> things that Frank did. So the season in film is a real treat for me. We're going to get into it a little bit. I mean, this this movie deals with what is obviously a very difficult time in your life, but it also suggests that a lot of this revolves around your relationship with Frankie. Tell me about your relationship with Frank. When when, when did you get to know him? How did you meet? Uh, we met, uh, um, and it's in the doc. It's uh, we met uh, in gym class, um, <laughs> <laughs> and and we were. We were doing uh, uh, um, gymnastics and uh, oh, weight training and stuff like that, and then then we started doing uh, uh, wrestling, and we <laughs> me and Frank were just grossed out about what we had to do, like wear these holds <laughs> with your 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 asses. I mean, your faces in somebody's ass, like <laughs> and like we were. Like and this is the first time I ever met him, and so we we were paired up for some reason, um, and uh, um, all right. So so not the not the uh, I mean, as two guys who are musical and into music and stuff, not necessarily your favorite part of school. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I now back then, back then he was Frank Kerr, right? So uh, how did he get the name Venom? Do you remember who gave yeah, him that? Uh, I think Nick's mom did. Nick's mom, okay. Yeah, yeah, from the band. Yeah, yeah. He, his mom kind of coined it, saying that the that Frankie's he, he's full of venom, like, and so we just thought, okay, Frankie Venom. That just, works. Uh, yeah, it works. Yeah, you don't have to think too much about it. So it's actually uh, yeah, Nick's mom. So after you had that first sort of meeting in wrestling class with your head in his butt or vice versa. Um, <laughs> were you guys immediately fast friends from that moment? Uh, actually, no, no, I, I, I didn't really uh, see him for maybe another couple of years. And I'm, I'm trying to think, but this was probably grade nine that, uh, the wrestling thing. Uh, but, uh, so in, in another two years, three years. Yeah. We, we might've been out of high school, but, I, I do remember him there and, and, and talking to him and I I know what we did one day, like uh he uh he invited us down to his rehearsal space in the, in his in his, in his mom and dad's basement and uh and they hated it. <laughs> 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 and so but so he brought me and Steve because he, he 
um, he yeah he just wanted to see what we, we were like, and so we started jamming, and uh, it just felt really good. And, uh, he was playing drums. Frank's a drummer. Um, a lot of people probably don't know that, but he, he's a good drummer, and uh, we just tried to uh, write songs. And over time, as I understand it, y- you did it t- over time, though. You and he became very, very close. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you're writing songs with somebody and you're exchanging your, you know, your soul to uh, to, to somebody. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a catalyst for, for friendship. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Gord, this movie uh, talks, it goes into some detail about the depression that you suffered, especially after Frankie died. Um, The preview material describes it as crippling, the depression. Is that how you would describe it? Um, Crippling, yeah. Uh, I I also would would describe it like uh, crushing. Okay. It actually makes you... uh, uh, it it makes you not want to do anything. Like you're not, you don't return, you don't return phone calls, you don't return uh, messages or texts or or anything. And then people start to get worried. But uh, that's what happens when uh, when you when you're feeling that way. Do, do you believe that it was Frankie's death that led to this, or was that just the trigger? And you believe that something else, if it wasn't that, would have done it because you were predisposed to this. Um, I, I think, I, I think it was Frankie's death, yeah, because I was with him, uh, with, with his family, of course, uh, uh and, uh, I, I just, I, I just respected the guy so much, like, uh, and then there he is, he's dead, and I said, okay, and I even told myself this is going to be, uh, national news. Uh, once you know, those are some of the thoughts that I that went through my head, uh, right or wrong. And and also, I lost uh, I lost my best friend. You were with him when he passed away. You say? Uh, I just missed it. Actually, I mean, I, I it was a morning, early morning, and they had him down in, in intensive care. And yeah, so I I, I missed okay. him. Okay. I did As get to say goodbye to him. Uh, one time, I, I, I used to drive him down for his treatments. For uh, uh, I'm not too sure what he's actually getting, but uh, um, yeah. And uh, I remember him sitting in the lobby, and he cuts out this rips out this piece of paper, like, and gives it to me. And then he does something else, and he gave it to me. And then he went off, and uh, he went down. He says, do you want me to come? I said, do you want me to come with you, Frank? And he said, no, I'm okay. And so he just opened up the door and walked down the steps down to to uh, where the chemo uh, was. And uh, that's the last I ever saw him. Hmm. When, when, he, when died, he passed he that day. When he passed away and then you and the depression kicked in, did, did you... It's always hard to know because everyone's got a different story. Did you wonder what was happening to you? What was happening to me? Yeah. Did you, did you understand immediately what was happening or was it like sitting there going, what is going on with me? What's wrong with me? No, I, it was like, I I had already accepted that he was going to pass away. Uh, Doctors told me that, that uh, their term was uh, we're going into the ring against um, Muhammad Ali with one arm tied behind us, our back, your, your mm. back. Like, and he said, that's the, that's the battle that you're fighting. And I thought, oh, wow. What a way yeah. to put it. Yeah. <laughs> but this, this sidelined you then. This, I mean, this really uh, affected you. And that's, you know, that, like anyone who's seen depression understands what this is. Did you, um, th- but the other guys in the band at this time, I mean, after a certain period of time, after, you know, Frankie's been gone a little while. They want to get back going. Were you ready to get back playing again? Uh, yes and no. Um, uh, I, I think we started uh, too soon. I think, and uh, um, and but anyway, we wound up changing. Uh, I'm just having a 
Oh, just a, 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 a turnover, like a change of, of what we're going to do. And, um, and, and, and then we got Dave, Dave Rave into, into singing, um, because he was always at the recording sessions and stuff. Hmm. And so, so we just said, okay, we've got to do this quick. We've got some gigs we got to play. So, uh, so we got Dave to sing. You, this documentary, again, I haven't seen the whole thing, just the previews, but it looks, incredibly um raw and, and i'm wondering you you let yourself be put out there or you put yourself out there for this why when i was young no no now when when this movie is being done you you show yourself not necessarily mm-hmm. as gord lewis the rock star you show yourself as gord lewis a guy who's going through stuff why, why did you decide that you would be okay to do that i think it was a uh director's uh uh influence like um uh yeah that's a hard one that's uh uh it, it was just so surreal that uh i i i didn't know what i was gonna do i didn't want to go back and play like i hmm. uh i know that for sure uh, but anyway you know steve and jack the drummer at the time they both talked me into it and uh to uh to play with uh uh, Pete, that's his name, uh, and, and do teenage head with him. And so I gave in actually. Uh, but I, I was down and out. Like I was like, I, I can't play my teenage head songs like loud like, anymore. Uh, and, uh, it, uh, it really, uh, it, it really took a toll. It's uh, the documentary is called Picture My Face. It's the story of Teenage Head. It's on November the 3rd on TV Ontario, TVO. I think everyone gets that. Um, it's, uh, Gord, listen, I, I really appreciate you doing this. I always love chatting with you about music and about Teenage Head, but this is a, uh, this is a tough one. And you've, as I say, you've put yourself out there, but it looks like it's, uh, is absolutely going to be a must-see uh, bit of, bit of movie making. Gord, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Oh, no, no, Scott, thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Got news uh, late this afternoon that David Braley, a uh, longtime philanthropist, longtime CFL owner of three different teams, um, a guy whose name is all over the city of Hamilton on a variety of arenas and sports facilities and medical facilities and everything else. Uh, David Braley passed away today. And normally we wouldn't go back to someone and bring someone on again because we don't want to bug people that much who just did an, a long stretch with us on Friday. But Ron Foxcroft knew David Braley as well as just about anybody. And Ron joins us again today. Ron, thanks for doing this tonight. Good evening, uh, Scott. Yes, this is, uh, this is a very sad day for Hamilton. Uh, David Braley, as I call him, Elbows Braley, he was a uh, fierce competitor. I've known him and I've been friends with him for 50-plus years, uh, starting when I actually refereed him when he played basketball, and he got the nickname. They called him Elbows Braley because he was such a, uh, a fierce competitor. And, was he any good? Uh, and, and I called him Elbows, and when he became a senator, I called him, and I said, um, Elbows, what, what can I call you? You're now in the Senate. I guess I'm going to have to be formal. He said, very simple, call me Senator Elbows. <laughs> and that's what I've called him ever since. But, Scott, this is a very sad day for Hamilton because uh, David Braley's legacy, in my opinion, will never be matched by anybody. We could do we could do several documentaries on his endeavors uh, and, remarkably, his business endeavors, his sport endeavors, his philanthropic endeavors, and and David as a person, a very demanding, passionate person that loved Hamilton and loved Canada. What made him, because there's a lot of different parts and we only have a little bit of time, but what made, obviously he was a very successful businessman that allowed him to do many of the other things that he did. What made him a successful businessman? Um, he was fiercely competitive. He was driven he had passion, and he never talked about ideas that he couldn't live. And, and he was very passionate about ideas that he believed in, 
and he was extremely demanding. He demanded accountability, but probably, Scott, he was uh, more driven and, and more accountable for himself. He was more demanding on himself. He had a photographic mind and um, probably one of the most um, talented financial minds I've ever been associated with. He was very bottom line driven. And of course, the the profits that he made, he was very generous as as a philanthropic. His philanthropic endeavors are, are well documented. And he had a way, Scott, of researching the uh, impact that his donations made on the subject that he was donating to. So it was really important that the people that he was donating to had all their ducks in a row because he had a, a great way of measuring impact that his gifts had on charities and not-for-profits. Would the CFL be alive today if it wasn't for David Braley? I don't think so. Uh, back in, um, I, I believe, 1988, the uh, Tiger Cats were in trouble. He bought the Tiger Cats. He didn't want to be an owner. He just wanted to uh, go and enjoy football. His his love for football started when he was eight years of age. His neighbor took him to a Canadian Football League game, and he fell in love with football. He knew a lot about football and loved it. It was his passion. But then when the Tiger Cats got in trouble, the mayor said to him, David, will you step in and solve the problem and fix the problem? And he did. They went to the Grey Cup in 1989, but he never ever thought that he wanted to be an owner of a Canadian Football League team. Well, then several years later, the uh, BC Lions were floundering, and the league, I understood, and we talked about this, were about to lose 25% of their lucrative television deal at the time with the National Broadcasting Network, and uh, he stepped in and... and uh, you know, he loved the BC Lions. He loved the BC Lions. Bobby Ackles, Wally Buono. One of the greatest nights I ever had was having dinner out in Vancouver with Wally and David and just talking the business of football. He he absolutely loved the BC Lions and and Scott is well documented when the Toronto Argonauts were struggling a few years ago once again he stepped in bought mm-hmm. the floundering uh, Toronto Argonauts and revitalized them and and they um they put on one of the best the 100th Grey Cup one of the best Grey Cups that's ever been put on Ron I I am so tight for time I'm actually over time but just very quickly in 10 seconds did you know this was coming or was this sudden? Has he been not well for a while or has this been a very sudden thing today? Uh, no, I knew this was coming. I knew this okay. was coming. He canceled. We had his, uh, we go to his birthday every May and he couldn't make his birthday this May. And I knew this was coming. It was very sad. Could wish we could talk a lot more and we will. I know it'll be a lot of people talking and writing over the next few days, a lot about David Braley. Uh, Ron Foxcroft, really appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, Scott. My pleasure. Uh, yeah, David Braley passing away today, and, and I would agree with that. Uh, probably, almost certainly, no CFL today. You know, if you're a CFL fan, it's because of David Braley. In all likelihood, there is still a league. Among other things, think of all the places around town that have his name on them. Um, a guy who made a difference, and that's that's a good thing. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in, as we do every Monday at this time, Don Robertson, owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys, and same with the ComChoice Realty World, and but guy who's done a bunch of other things. Don, thanks for doing this today. Always glad to have you along. It's always a pleasure, Scott. Well, that's nice. See, even with a new intro that probably threw you off, because it threw me off. Well, did you say it added class and respect? Well, I said it should. I should treat it with, you know, to make it more classy and respectful. All of our music should be now from like Downton Abbey or Masterpiece Theater and British accents for all around. I can drag that down in a hurry. <laughs> well, between the two of us, yeah, the intro may not be able to help. 
Uh, late last hour, I was just chatting with Ron Foxcroft about David Braley, who passed away today. And, you know, I, I thought about this with you coming on today. Uh, you and David Braley have some things in common, and one of them is that you both have spent an awful lot of time and an awful lot of your own money propping up leagues and helping to run leagues that you're not necessarily getting that money back, but you do it because why? Donna, you, you would be uniquely positioned. I don't know if you've ever talked to David Braley about this, but what is the the reason why guys who love sports, not in the NFL where you're going to make a ton of money, in, in, a, in a hobby type league, why do you do it? Well, um, first of all, condolences to the Braley family and Rob sat on our Allen Cup committee this year. So I uh, met them uh, back in the late 80s when uh, we owned the Collins Hotel and Duck Sports Bar started the Ticat uh, quarterback club back up again. So I, I do have some experience with them. I think it's unfair to, to lump us in, in in the same sentence, but thank you on uh, running franchises and putting your own money into it. He uh, he, he may well have saved the CFL on more than one occasion. Unquestionably. And uh, needs a tip of the hat, as I'm sure Fox uh, did for him. But, you know, at any level, quite frankly, I mean, it's um, it needs to be a passion. Um, sometimes you sit back and wonder why in hell you're doing it and you know, you, you try and do things because you enjoy them, which is why, uh, you know, I've worked so hard at Senior Hockey and the Real McCoys with just a fabulous group of people to help us. But, you know, it's it's a passion, and you have to believe in what you're doing, and you have to believe in the history of what you're doing. Um, the CFL and Senior Hockey both have tremendous history. You know, the Allen Cup is uh, actually older than the Grey Cup. And, you know, you need to do it for all the right reasons, and I'm sure Mr. Braley did. And I can attest to the fact that putting some money into things that you're really passionate about in your time are keys to that. And uh, you hope people enjoy it. And as long as more people are enjoying it than aren't enjoying it, then you carry on doing it. And you wake up some mornings and shake your head at yourself. Of course you do. But you carry on. Well, and, and I guess that's because, as I say, I, like, I, I, I'm not a businessman and I've never seen the financials of either the CFL or senior hockey, but it strikes me that there's little to no chance that you're going into this expecting you're going to get your money back. I mean, this is, a, this is something you are doing knowing that that money is going to be gone, correct? Yeah, it is. And, and you have to look at it as a hobby, whether it's, uh, you know, it's a golf membership. So, I, you know, if you're not a golfer or if you don't have a sailboat, which neither one of those you make any money at and you do something. But, you know, I, I uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, from a personal standpoint for the real McCoys, it's a very selfish thing for me because I, 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 along with our entire organization, take such pleasure out of the charities that we can support and the good that we do in the community and the small smirk sometimes when you're handing an organization a check. So from that standpoint, I don't know as I'm a giver as much as I am a taker some days because, you know, you get so much satisfaction out of that. And, and I know our our board of directors and our executive do as well and the pride we have and the community things we do and that kind of is the real reward. But as far as ever getting your money back, there's not a chance. And you may think there's a chance going in, but you know, it's uh, you're a bit of a fool if you think uh, after you've been at it a few years to think it's ever going to work out well. So you take the things you can from it. And uh, that's, that's what we do. And clearly uh, Mr. Braley did that um, a million times fold. <laughs> Well, and, and you know, the, the, the reality is that if you stopped supporting and running and operating senior hockey, I don't know that that would stick around. I don't know how successful it would be because you've been a driver of that, quite honestly. And I think if you are someone in the CFL, a league that is already done in some people's eyes in a lot of trouble with COVID and not playing this pat this year and who knows what next year is going to bring, um, 
I think there's got to be some people in that league right now who are a little nervous because now you've got this franchise in BC that apparently he was trying to sell for some time and couldn't really do it. Who's going to step in and pick that up? Because as you just say, you're going into that. You have to have the passion to be willing to lose some money. And we haven't seen the long lineup of people out in BC for the Lions waiting to do that. No, you, you need a couple things. You need passion. You need a wallet. And uh, it best means something to you. Um, it's always nice when you can see some former players or executives that have gone on to be very successful that are prepared to do that. We're uh, fortunate in the Hamilton area to have a great caretaker that, uh, that uh, you know, supports the team and isn't hanging on hoping he's going to get rich off doing it, but he does it for the community. And uh, I mean, it may be, it may be a bit of a different sell because one thing about Mr. Braley was pretty good businessman. And he, and he, he wasn't giving his franchises away. I mean, he was always trying to cut a good deal. I mean, uh, I think it's fair to, to assess that in the last 10 to 15 years, his franchises have basically, hosted close to half of the Grey Cups. So he's, uh, he does something right. So, I mean, the, the, uh, the price tag may change a little bit if uh, the estate doesn't have the passion to run it like he did. And, uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I, sure, I haven't spoke to Rob or, or his brother. Uh, I don't know what their intentions are. And I, you know, far be it for me to even understand an estate that has to be multi-layered like that one would be. And, and uh, it may be addressed in his will. Who knows? Well, uh, the CFL really uh, needs to hope that there is somebody else who's really interested. And, and this, I, Don, again, not to be, I mean, it's a downer story. I mean, the, the, you know, a, a, a great Hamilton citizen just passed away, but I can't imagine there's a worse time to try to be finding a new owner of the BC Lions either. I mean, this, is, this has got to be the worst possible moment to try and be finding someone who will invest in a CFL team when there's no league happening right now and there may not be next year. I mean, it's just, it, it's, a, it's a tough story for the Braley family, of course, for Hamilton, of course, but also for the CFL. Well, um, uh, Mr. Braley's uh, uh, giving is all over our city, right? It's hard to drive by it a building uh, of uh, merit without seeing his name on it and, and many other great uh, Hamiltonians like Ron Joyce and, and uh, Charlie and Margaret Jarabinski. But, uh, you know, Braley's name's on, on so many things and his fingerprints are all over the CFL and I couldn't concur more. I can't, I can't fathom uh, an absolute worst time for the CFL to be looking for an owner on the only good news is uh, the BC Lions likely didn't lose a lot of money this year. Um, but to <laughs> yeah, pick it well, up. Some. Yeah. Some. Right. But you I mean, know they had I, some staff. So, they it, had some staff, it, yeah. There are, there, are, uh, there are people out there that uh, have been questioning the rebound of the CFL after this because, it, you know, it, it's, not, it's not a solid business model. And, you know, they're bringing in a new team from the East Coast. They certainly don't want to lose one from the West Coast. And they have to hope somebody will step up and, and uh, take the reins of that. It is, uh, it, is a very, it is a very sad story, not just for, uh, although for Hamilton, yes, because you're absolutely right. His fingerprints are all over this city and his generosity is all over this city. But also uh, questions now for the CFL, absolutely, as a result of the passing of David Braley. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There is a hint, and up here, I don't, I don't really think it's that big a deal. Uh, it makes no difference to me, but there's a hint that apparently is big, big, big in Dallas right now that the Dallas Stars are going to be returning to their old black, main black sweater that they had, I guess, in the year when they won the Stanley Cup over Dominic Hoshik and the Sabres, and they're t- sending out hints on Twitter and everything. Got me thinking... Which sports uniform that is no longer in play would you like to see brought back? Because I'm a, I'm a huge non-fan of teams having 72 different alternate jerseys and everything else. I hate the fact that the Toronto Raptors now have like 50, honestly, 15 different uniforms. It is ridiculous. But if you could pick one, 
and it can be any sport, one uniform that you would say, you know, I either because it's great or because it's horrible, I would love to see that one come back. What would it be? Oh, boy. The team can still be operating, right? It's just Sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, well, one I don't want to see come back is is, uh, the Vancouver Canucks V and Tagger Williams. (laughs) See, that was the one I was going to recommend. That was the one I was going to recommend, the Flying V. Wow, that's from the Mighty Ducks. Um, That's a pretty ugly uniform. There's no question about it. That is is right up there with the worst, especially the, the home ones, which were yellow and a shade of yellow that was damaging to your retinas. I mean, it was a, that was an ugly yeah, uniform. One of the things though, that, uh, you know, I'm kind of rattling, you can probably hear things rattling around in my mind. Uh, most real good logos and uniforms haven't been totally abandoned. You, you may have a list because you were lucky enough to think the question up before you asked <laughs> me, but when you, uh, like most of them don't abandon them, like look at Dallas and, I don't care if Dallas wear pink next year. It matters not to me. So good for them to create a buzz and bring back black uniforms. But most most traditional teams, they're all teams, never really abandon any uniform. They just pile on fifteen others, like the Raptors. Have. Yeah, yeah. Like the Leafs, the Leafs, Leafs tried all kinds of versions with the blue stripe down the arm and multiple Maple Leafs on it. And somehow they all seem to head back to where they should be. Like Montreal don't vary too much. Detroit don't. Chicago don't. But, you know, I mean, lots of them add different ones. you got to love the ones that just stick with it. I don't even, well, I, I'm not a fan, as I said, of, of teams that just go crazy with this, but especially teams that abandon their logo. I mean, if you want to, you know, fritter around on the fringes, and change some colors or some patterns. But if you've got a logo, you should be wearing your logo. And so when, you know, a number of years ago when the New York Islanders changed their uniform and had this Captain Highliner logo, I mean, it was, it was stupid. It was stupid. Or, or you remember the, I don't know if you remember this, the LA Kings around the same time went to what they, what was jokingly referred to as the Burger King uniform. And it looked like the Burger King who was on the front of the shirt instead of the, just the Kings or the whatever. And, I don't know. I, the the flying V I would love to see come back for the Vancouver Canucks only because it's so incredibly horrible. Uh, another one that falls into that category, and I'm sure Don, you'll remember this. I don't know how many other people will. Way way back in the Steve Garvey days, the truly atrocious San Diego Padre brown and yellow uniforms. Maybe there's a, a theme going on here with brown and yellow, but um, they were horrible. And I, I think they were supposed to look like a monk's outfit, which was the you know, like a Padre, which was the color scheme, but I mean, nasty. Um, there's been a bunch. There's been a bunch, but. Um, Houston Astros, when they had to look like a rainbow. Yep. Yep. They With Mike Scott the, ears. Various yep. Different, various different colors coming up through. And you have to kind of wonder how, how big the party was and how much alcohol was consumed when they <laughs> put the rubber stamp on this. Like you can't, you can't be of sound mind and come up and approve with some of these things. I don't think, and and it must be somebody high enough up in the organization, generally the owner, likely or president, that unveils that V in Vancouver or those brown uniforms in San Diego that has got so much drag and, and says with so much pride. Okay, pick whatever one you want, but I absolutely love these ones. And all the minions running around saying, yeah, me too, as they go throw up on your shoes. But they think they should say it. One that I don't know they're ever going to bring back, but and I don't know if you really want to, but, you know, I don't know if you, do you remember the very, very early Anaheim Mighty Ducks uniforms, which was literally a Disney, yeah, it was a Disney duck. With, with look like a hockey mask, and now they've changed the name entirely. Now it's just the Anaheim Ducks. They're not even pretending to be affiliated with Disney. But I, you know, I'd be okay if they brought those ones. All the teams that started back way, way, way back, and they they had one, and then they moved away from it. Most of them, if you went back to those, I'd be totally fine with that one. The original San Jose Sharks, I'd be okay with that one. Um, I mean, pick your team. The, the Pittsburgh Penguins, which have in some cases gone back. It was that old powder blue one that they have pulled out now as a third. Those are beautiful. 
Those are beautiful. I, I love those ones, but I, I, I'm on a little bit of shaky ground. When you bring up the Pittsburgh uh, powder blue, that was the color of uh, the 85, 86 and 87 uh, franchise that uh, won the Allen cup in Brantford. Yes, it was the powder blue. We had the powder blue because it matched the Mott's Clamato Lake logo. So I'm a little bit on thin ice when it comes to logos and perfection and color schemes and everything else. We, uh, we did what we had to do. We did what we paid, got paid to do to survive. But, you know, there are some people, especially in minor pro, not so much in the big leagues, that you go, where'd that come from? And then you find out, well, that's the sponsor's colors, and that's what we're doing. I mean, that's where the real McCoy's struggle came from. It was McCoy Foundry's colors. I mean, we've stuck with it traditionally and, and have for decades. But uh, you're right. When you see some of the things that come out and you go, wow. Well, let, let me put it this way. I just pulled up as we, as you were talking, I'm just typing in best defunct uniforms and they're all hockey ones. I don't know why all hockey ones came up, but every one of the nine that they list here are all either defunct teams completely. So the uniform is completely out of commission or in my mind, better than the uniform that replaced it. The California golden seals was an eyesore, but it was in a, it was a nice, crazy, great eyesore. Um, the Quebec Nordiques, if you were the Colorado Avalanche and wanted to pull out a Quebec Nordique uniform for a third jersey, that would be awesome. Um, Colorado Rockies, if, you, if Colorado wants another one, the Rockies uniform was awesome. Uh, you know, going through these things, the I wish there was a team in Kansas City for the Kansas City Scouts, although didn't they become New Jersey eventually so the Devils could wear the Kansas City Scouts one? Um you know, a lot of these ones are just great. The, the original idea, they had a good idea and then got clever and had marketing people interfere and got away from what was really great. And now we, I think it's time to go back to some of these, like apparently the Dallas Stars are thinking of doing. Hmm. Well, there's, there's two teams that have uh, uh, been resurrected in, in at least a lot of our memory is the Ottawa Senators, you know, bring back the Sens, and they went back to the original name from the early 1800s. And Winnipeg battled, didn't want to be the Jets, wanted a new identity, and the fans dictated, you know, back come the Jets and Bobby Hull's Jets. You may not even remember this, Don, but the original uniform, as I recall, or near the original, or a mocker, I'm not even sure what it was, when the Ottawa Senators started, they used to have a uniform that had the Parliament buildings with a flag on top of it as yeah. the centerpiece. That was great. That was great. I thought that that's a great looking logo and stuff. And now you've got this stupid one that looks like it's from a Trojan condom commercial. And it's like, oh, what is that doing for it? Well, I won't comment on the Trojan condoms, but the the unit, the logo itself is uh, who cares? I mean, really, it's it's like it could be any team's logo. I much prefer the one that you have of the Parliament buildings and and something unique. But again, I don't think they're listening to me or you, or they're listening to marketing people. And I guess people in Ottawa want to wear an ad for Trojan condoms everywhere they go when they wear a uniform. I guess. Well, I guess it was I guess it was sad or the Parliament buildings they they made a choice. <laughs> they have made their choice. Yes. And uh, there's probably Go some ahead. sort of, there's probably some sort of simile or metaphor in there for the team's performance since, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, the, um, the world series has been going on these days. I think a lot of people know that the world series is on, but here's the thing that's surprising to me. Uh, I've been watching not all, but quite a bit of it because the baseball itself, the, the World Series itself has been spectacular. It's been an unbelievably spectacular World Series. Lots of action, lead changes, crazy things happening, errors, home runs, great pitching. I mean, it's got everything. And yet right now, this is the lowest viewed World Series. And I don't just mean in the stands. That's obviously true too. But on TV, lowest viewed World Series ever. And I'm trying to figure out if how much trouble baseball might be in if this World Series that is offering this kind of excitement can't draw fans. What will? Well, I think, pardon me in fairness, that um, baseball is as slow as they are in the uptake because they think it's America's national pastime. 
they, uh, I mean, it's like trying to drag a house along for a normal human, the way they want to make changes. And, I mean, they did some stuff during the regular season in next trainings by starting a guy at second base. But it has been seemingly for the last two or three decades just become slower and more boring. And I think one of the reasons for that is it's not that baseball has changed. It's life has changed. Everybody picks up their phone and they want to see what uh, Scott Radley's tweeting. They want to find out the score instantaneously. There's so much action at your fingertips and everything moves so fast, like hockey, basketball, or both pretty quick sports. Uh, the NFL have a magical uh, uh, pull on North American society for some reason. But baseball, that slow, methodical way is been circling the drain for a long time. And you know what? I mean, a lot of people don't watch every game. A lot of people don't watch NFL football every Sunday. But everybody wants to watch the Stanley Cup Finals, the Super Bowl, the Grey Cup, and the World Series Finals. And what a spectacular ending to game four. Four, four. yep. Yeah, crazy. Right? I mean, crazy. If that's not exciting, and if, even if that, you would think the highlights would drive attendance for Game 5 just in case you want to watch some more excitement, which there was when they tried to steal home. I mean, it was – so it, most championship series, uh, this one has gone perhaps not to script because it's 3-2 L.A., but baseball in general, because it's so slow and they're slow, so slow to react to it, has been losing a grip. Uh, it may still be America's pastime, but it's really past its time in a lot of areas. Uh, it's 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 so difficult because I don't know how now you speed it up. And we've talked about it on the show recently, you know, that that may be the answer. You touch on it, that it, you know, it just, it moves at its own pace. But I would have thought that exactly what you just said, that once you've had a few games where it's been fantastic games, that people will say, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll tune in and I'll commit to it. But maybe you're absolutely right. Maybe we've reached the point where it's not even about great, exciting games can keep your attention anymore. We're so trained for immediate satisfaction or immediate pleasure or immediate rewards and our dopamine hits need to come so fast and furious that we just were physically or mentally incapable of for some people watching baseball anymore because it just, it doesn't deliver those things. And if we don't give you a, a dopamine hit every 20 seconds, it's, it's not good enough for us. And that's, if that's true, baseball's well, in trouble. Well, baseball's in trouble. And I akin it to a, you know, a big piece of a sheet of steel on a truck. I mean, once it starts sliding, you can't stop it. And this thing has started to slide on major league baseball. And I'll tell you, it's a lot harder to win them back than it is to keep them. And they've been losing them. And we know they've been losing them, the ratings. But you know they're losing fans and they're losing some of their mojo when baseball actually talks about making some changes to how the game is played. You know, they've tried to speed it up. But what they gain? Six minutes? I mean, Something like that. You know what I mean? Like they, I mean, I mean, all the things that they try and make it, action pack to go from two and a half hours down to two hours and 24 minutes, I don't think works. And uh, so they recognize that they're losing it. I mean, you know, they got some pretty smart people around there, but boy, when this world series number comes out, they got to sit, pardon me, they got to sit down and go, wow, this isn't good. Maybe. I mean, I mean what, Don, when was the last time that baseball really, really captured everybody's attention? And I have a, a date in my head or a time in my head, but what would you say would be the last time that everybody was following baseball? And I don't just mean in one city like Toronto or something. Everybody. When was everybody watching baseball? The year nine eleven. That was a good one. Yeah, when when they came back and yeah, that was that was one. Tried, my, tried to pull tried to pull the country together with that. Anyway, sorry. No, my answer was three years before that it was ninety eight during the McGuire Sosa home run chase. Yeah. when everybody was following. So may, maybe the answer, I say very cynically and not very serious, but who knows, maybe the answer is legalize all the steroids and jack everybody up into monsters and just have them hit 600-foot home runs every game 
and say, it's up to you, but you know, if you want your nuggets to fall off and shrivel up, that's up to you, but you're fine to go ahead and do it. Feel free. I mean, it's not going to happen, but maybe, maybe there's your answers. We just, that, that was the, that was the magic potion, not just the steroids. I mean, that home run contest, maybe we got to go back to that. Well, you don't know, right? I mean, it's, uh, uh, if you, and I like, I take things back to hockey, but if you can at the hockey, somebody's got a breakaway, everybody can stand up. Two heavyweights go to center ice, everybody stands up. Is it right? Apparently it's not anymore. But it's the same as baseball, and I agree with you. You know, let it, and we've talked about that in the Olympics. You know, if you can win a gold medal, you'll be dead when you're 42. What do you want? Put whatever you want in my butt. You know, I want to win a gold medal. I want to be the fastest man on the planet. And people take those chances. But you're right. I, I don't think anybody cared that uh, Mark McGuire and uh, Sammy Sosa might have been juiced. Who cared? They were hitting. I mean, it was, it was much-watched TV, the sports highlights, Almost every night, because in baseball, they play, one of them was playing every day, and oftentimes yep. both of them. Yeah, no, and and it was early days because they didn't have now. If you watch NFL football, and people who watch NFL all the time would know about like the the red zone TV. I can't remember what they call it now, but you can there, there's a channel where you can go, and any team that gets into the red zone and within twenty yards, they'll go to that game live, and so it's a constant, it's a constant barrage of just. Again, that dopamine hit. There's nothing, none of the grinding it out plays in the middle of the field. It's just scoring play after scoring play after scoring play. But that's new. Back That home run chase was one of the first times when you would, every single time McGuire came up or Sosa came up, you would cut into your coverage of whatever game you were watching to show their at bat and then go back to whatever you were doing before. Yeah, they did. And, and almost places like CNN would cut into it. I mean, you didn't have well, to be a story near the end. network. Right, yep, I mean, near the end, yep. every at bat, and now baseball is about as exciting as watching the bulldozer go across the plowed field. I mean, it, it's slow, it's methodical. You know what's going to happen, and you're begging for it to be exciting, but it's not going to be. Well, it, or it is, but then not enough people are watching to appreciate how exciting it is. Because again, well, game four was spectacular. Game five was spectacular. Um, Game three was pretty darn good. Game two was good. I mean, they're all, they've, it's been a great World Series. Anyone who's been watching will talk about this one as one of the great, exciting World Series. The problem is not enough people have been watching. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. A few more minutes with Don here. Um, Don, very quickly, Dallas Cowboys stink, clearly. They're awful now. Is it your opinion that it's better for sports when teams like that, the Cowboys, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Leafs, the Canadians, the, the, the famous legacy teams. Is it better for sports when they're good or is it fine when they are terrible and just carrying on like a crappy team? No, I think it's really important to all leagues that, uh, that some of the key marquee names, teams, Packers, Leafs, you know, um, are in the mix or at least good enough to be in the mix. You don't want to look at the Dallas Cowboys and say they'd have, they'd be really struggling right now if they were in a high school league. I just don't think it's good for the game. It's it's never good when the Yankees are at the bottom. You know what I mean? And your your assessment is hundred. Your question's great, and your assessment, I assume, is equally as great. But you know, it's kind of important that they don't have to always be at the top. I mean, I think there was some glee that Boston and uh, the Yankees weren't running away with things this year, but I don't think anybody wants to see them at the bottom forever. You know, they don't really want to see Baltimore and, uh, uh, you know, that the likes of the Orioles up there all the time. You want the Yankees and the Bo Sox. You want America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, which have not been America's team for a long, long time. Well, what does every great drama, if you're watching a movie or a TV show, what does every great drama have? And almost every single one of them has a villain or a bad guy or someone who plays the role of the the foil to the hero. And, and so if all the teams that we love to hate don't matter because they're terrible, I think you, I, I agree with you. I think you lose out on an awful lot. It's It's fine to not like Tampa Bay, but who really, you know, who's, who, who hates the Tampa Bay Rays? I mean, nobody does. Um, you know, there's a, there's always lots of interest when the Yankees are in because there's more people that hate them than like them, but they pay attention to them, right? 
Like I, I'm cheering for the Rays. Why am I cheering for the Rays? Because as we talked about, LA have one pitcher that makes more than the entire team. I'm happy. I was happy when it was two, two. I think it would be brilliant if the Tampa Bay Rays beat the LA Dodgers. Not because I really care about the Tampa Bay Rays. I just like the dynamic of it. But that also, we got to go, but that's because the Dodgers are good. What's the fun in beating the Dodgers if they stink? When you got the team that's pay, spending all the money and they're good and you beat them? That's that's what, that to me is good for the game. Same beating Dallas or, I mean, and if Dallas wins, great, or, or the Dodgers win. But I agree with you. Those, those big name teams, by and large, should be, it's better when they're good for the game. Don Robertson, always appreciate you coming on here every Monday. Thanks for the time today. Enjoy. It was fun. Thanks, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.